know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Well, I invite you to turn in a copy of Scripture to the book of Ruth. You'll find it in the very, very beginning part of the Bible, just a few pages in, maybe around 250 pages or so in your Bible or in the Bible in the pew in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one so that you can regularly spend time in God's Word. It is one of the most transforming um, parts of our spiritual walk with the Lord where we get to read His words to us and His words to the people of God throughout the ages and get glean and gain principles from them for how he wants us to live. And Ruth is certainly in that vein. We've spent a couple weeks looking at God's grace and great famine. And we've been looking at the hardships of living for Christ in a non Christ-following world. We've looked at what it means to experience famine in our life, and we're going to flip the page on Ruth chapter 1 and begin studying Ruth chapter 2 today. Um, So Ruth chapter 2 is where we're going to be, but I want to just briefly remind you of where we have been at. We've been introduced to a family who is from Bethlehem. And their names are Elimelech and Naomi, and they have two sons, Machlon and Kilion. And they leave Bethlehem to go to the other side of the Dead Sea to find food in a region called Moab, or Moab. And they go there to find food, but many times when we see geographical movements in the scriptures, it's telling us both a like, practical reality, but it's also, and I think Ruth is doing this in this book, um, it's, it's showing how this family is not, not just leaving geographically to go find food, but they're leaving the place where God told them to plant and to trust him. And they're going to a different land and to a different region and to different gods, and they're finding their hope and they're finding their joy and they're finding their provision in the gods and in the people of Moab instead of where God had planted them in the region of Israel. And so we see in this story that they have two sons, their sons, and we get this clue, their sons marry Moabite women, which was a big no-no uh, for an observant Jewish household because the history of Moab is that it would take um, people from Israel and it would lead them astray from God, okay? It has nothing to do with, with um, ethnic prejudice or racial prejudice. It has everything to do with two different religions coming together does not usually work well. And so God is setting that principle. I want you to marry within your your own people, but we're introduced to this lady named Ruth, one, one, one of the daughters after great tragedy um, f- befalls the family, the, the patriarch of the family dies, Naomi's husband, the two sons, they die, this lady named Naomi, whose name means pleasant, is left feeling very bitter because she's lost her entire family. And at the end of last week, we looked at Ruth, who Ruth goes with Naomi. Orpah, the other married-in daughter, stays with her people in Moab at Naomi's request. But what's actually happening here is Ruth is not just getting up and going to move. She's actually beginning a journey where she says in the, in the first, you know, verse 17, uh, uh, no, verse 
16 of Ruth chapter 1. This is all just review for those of you who weren't here last week. Ruth tells Naomi, do not persuade me to leave you. Do not have me go back and not follow you. For where you will go, I will go. Wherever you will live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. What Ruth is doing is she's taking upon herself leaving what she knew, leaving what was her heritage, and she's saying, I want to follow Yahweh. And we get a picture of who she is more clearly in Ruth chapter 2. So we're going to look at three things in Ruth chapter 2 as we talk about finding food and favor in a field. And yes, I I had some great help with that title because that is just very alliterative and I'm not that good. But we're going to look at finding food and favor in a field starring Ruth and a guy by the name of Boaz. And then we're going to also talk a little bit about Naomi's continued journey in the story of Ruth this morning. So there's a little bit of our recap. If you are able, please rise with me in body or in spirit for the reading of God's word. Ruth chapter 2, now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side named Boaz. He was a prominent man from, of noble character from Elimelech's family. Ruth the Moabitess asked Naomi, will you let me go into the fields and gather grain behind someone who allows me to? Naomi answered her, go ahead, my daughter. So Ruth left and entered the fields to gather grain behind the harvesters. She happened to be in the portion of land belonging to Boaz, who was from Elimelech's family. Later, when Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, he said to the, to the harvesters, the Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they replied. Boaz asked his servant, who was in charge of the harvesters, Whose young woman is this? The servant answered, She's the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. She asked, Will you let me gather fallen grain among the bundles behind the harvesters? She came and has remained from early morning until now, except that she rested a little in the shelter. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Listen, my daughter, don't go and gather grain in another field. And don't leave this one, but stay here close to my female servants. See which field they are harvesting and follow them. Haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? When you are thirsty, go and drink from the jars the young men have filled. She bowed with her face to the ground and said to him, Why are you so kind to notice me, although I am a foreigner? Boaz answered her, Everything you have done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me. How you left your father and mother in the land of your birth and how you came to a people you did not previously know. May the Lord reward you for what you have done and may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. My Lord, she said, you have been so kind to me, for you have comforted and encouraged your slave, although I am not like one of your female servants. At mealtime, Boaz told her, come over here and have some bread and dip it in the vinegar sauce. So she sat beside the harvesters, and he offered her roasted grain. She ate, was satisfied, and she had some left over. She had some set aside. When she got up to gather grain, Boaz ordered his young men, let her even gather grain among the bundles and don't humiliate her. Pull out some of the stalks from the bundles for her and leave them for her to gather. Don't rebuke her. So Ruth gathered grain in the field until evening. She beat out what she had gathered and it was about 26 quarts of barley. She picked up the grain and went into the town where her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. Then she brought out what she had left over from her meal and she gave it to her. Then her mother-in-law said to her, 
where did you gather barley today, and where did you work? May the Lord bless the man who noticed you. Ruth told her mother-in-law about the, me, about the men she had worked with and said, the name of the man I worked with today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living or the dead. Naomi continued, the man is a close relative. He is one of our family redeemers. Ruth, the Moabitess said, he also told me, stay with my young men until they have finished all of my harvest. So Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Ruth, my daughter, it is good for you to work with his female servants so that nothing will happen to you in another field. Ruth stayed close to Boaz's female servants and gathered grain until the barley and the wheat harvest were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for your words um, to us. We thank you for how they teach us and how you reveal yourself and your character and what you care about uh, in and through them. And God, I pray that you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to set upon the truth of your word today. For the glory of the risen Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So, We've read Ruth chapter 2 together. You kind of get this flowing narrative of story. And if it's new to you, it's just an incredibly beautiful story about a very, very godly person. You have, you have in this area, you're introduced to a field. So Ruth is going to go, she's going to go find food in a field. But she's not only going to go find food, she's going to find favor and food in a field. And we pick that up because early here, um, the, the text gives us this little clue that something is happening when it says in verse 1, now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side named Boaz, a prominent man of noble character. We'll talk about that phrase in just a minute. And Ruth, in verse 2, asks her mother-in-law, will you let me go into the fields to gather fallen grain behind someone who allows me to? What, what's behind this is, will you let me go gather grain to find favor with someone who will allow me to gather grain. Now, if we think about having wheat or having bread, some of you probably went this week, you went to the store, you went to a bakery, and you just bought a loaf of bread. How many of you did that recently? Okay, a couple of you did. How many of you, like, enjoy making bread? Like, you, okay, awesome, we've got some bread makers in the house here. Um, Bread is a, is a staple. Bread is the core food of the ancient period. And actually, if you go to the Middle East today, bread is one of the most important things that you will eat while you're there. It gets dipped. It gets eaten by itself. It's cooked over a fire. It's cooked in an oven. Number of ways you can eat bread. But the process of coming to find and to make bread is not as easy as what most of us experience. In fact, I would dare say what any of us experience. Because you can imagine a man of noble character, a, a, a man who has some degree of... Um, and that phrase is interesting because it can refer to a, a mighty man of valor, like a, like a valiant warrior. Um, the, the word is uh, gibor chayil. You don't need to remember that. But behind that, gibor is strength. Um, but it can also have the idea of a, a man who has resources at his disposal. The other way we could understand that, that we'll look at in a couple minutes, is, is it refers to their godly character. We certainly know 
that Boaz is a man who has some wealth. Because he comes to the field and he asks one of his servants, the, the chief of his servants, who is that over there? So he has servants and they're gathering in a field. So imagine a guy by the name of Boaz coming to a field. And they're picking the barley harvest. And they're all out there working because when it's harvest time, you get the harvest in. But there's an incredible prescription that in the in the book of Leviticus that gives us a window into this idea of character, the character of Boaz. Um, remember, this is set in the context of the judges, and we spent a whole week basically looking at the context of the judges, and it can be summarized as a time in which um, there was no king in Israel, and everybody did what was right in his own eyes. But now we have this guy by the name of Boaz appear on the screen. Um, or, yeah, yeah, on the screen because we're watching it like an old movie. And he's coming to the field. And we catch a little glimpse because he's got people working for him. He's got abundance. But he allows Ruth to gather grain. And, and she's already gathering grain. And he actually blesses her even more with the ability to take sheaves. We'll talk about that too. But what's behind this is something from Leviticus. In Leviticus chapter 19... Um, and this is the famous, um, the famous passage where, where Jesus is asked, teacher, what are the greatest commands in the law? You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. You are to love your neighbor as yourself. That second command, love your neighbor as yourself, comes from this same chapter. Shortly before it gets to that, though, we have this prescription in Leviticus 19. And God says to his people, when you reap the harvest in your land, you shall not reap all the way to the edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall not pick your vineyard bare or gather the fallen fruit of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor, for the stranger. I, the Lord, am your God." This isn't the only place where it talks about this. If you want to do some cross-reference study, you can look at Leviticus 23, verse 22. You can look at Deuteronomy 24, verse 19. And there, it, it actually adds other groups to this. It, it talks about having the widows being able to glean and gather from the fields. Here's the thing. You could tell someone in the ancient period, if they had land, you could tell how generous they, they were by the corners of their fields. So if they left food on the edges of the corners and they did not harvest those for themselves, you knew what one of the things they were doing, they weren't being lazy because you didn't waste grain, you didn't waste food, but you knew they were leaving them for the poor, for the stranger, for the widow, because God said, I want to make sure that everyone has the opportunity to eat. Remember, we're in the time of the judges, where everyone does what is right in his own eyes. There's no king in Israel. But we're introduced now to a man named Boaz who is saying, yes, you may glean in my fields. And what we get from that is that he is a man of noble character. He is a man who is trusting God with everything he has, even to the point during a famine, no less. Because remember, they went away from, for famine. So they're coming back, and this may be one of the very first harvests that they've seen in quite some time. 
the general um, way that we might respond to that is be like, I need to make sure I hoard it all and I have it because who knows, maybe I'll need it, maybe my family will need it. Boaz is saying, I'm going to leave the corners of my fields. I'm going to allow people to come in and to glean. Gleaning was such an important thing in this biblical time. And God gave these biblical prescriptions for the poor, the foreigner, for the widow among you, because God cares about the poor, the widow, the foreigner among his people. He cares about how the body cares for others. He also cares that there are people who also put in a little bit of sweat equity for this as well, right? Notice what Ruth does. Like, like she comes and she asks, may I glean in the fields? Because there is some inherent dignity for people to be able to help produce that food. Now we see grace given upon grace because later in the story, Boaz is just going to like give her grain. And in Ruth though, we see her character in that I would assume Naomi is not able to physically do the demanding work of coming to a field to glean. But what Ruth does is she goes on behalf of Naomi and she says, may I go glean, may I glean for us and so she is providing for her mother-in-law. And again, to, to be a widow in the ancient period, especially a widow with, with, with no other male family members nearby, was a very vulnerable place to be. So she's experiencing great grace from Boaz. And there's this, this is kind of a cool photo, um, that kind of dis displays in ancient Egyptian forms the process of planting to harvesting. So you go from plowing to plowing with hoes to planting seed to keeping things cool to reaping to gleaning to carrying baskets of threshing um, of wheat ready to be threshed, taking it to the threshing floor, winnowing. We've got some photos here. Newly planted wheat in Bethlehem. There's a woman gleaning grain here. There's reapers during a harvest doing this arduous work taking grain to the fleshing floor on a donkey. There's a woman threshing some, some wheat, and then it goes to this winnowing place. So basically, you take the stalks, you gather them together, you have to beat the heads off the stalks in order to get the grain to come off. Then you have to take that grain, you go to a winnowing floor, which is often on top of a hill, because they could throw it up into the air, and the chaff would blow away. We'll look at that more next week as we look at the threshing floor scene of Ruth chapter 3. But what we see here is an incredible amount of work all designed to produce something that we go to the grocery store and we buy in a loaf, <laughs> right? Every one of us should say, thank you, Lord, for modern machinery and for farmers. <laughs> um, just an incredible, incredible thing. But know that Ruth is having to engage and she's intentionally engaging in this process of gathering and it demonstrates her character just like Boaz leaving the corners of his field demonstrates his character. So here we have in the time of Judges where um, people do what's right in their own eyes and there's no king in Israel, there's a couple people who have a king. And he's a king of kings and he's a lord of lords and they're living to follow him which is a very hard thing in this time. We read through this interplay between Ruth and Boaz, and as I was reading it, I just noted some of the back and forth um, 
dialogue that went, uh, that, that went between these two that kind of gives us a bit of their character. Um, and, and here's how I would kind of summarize it. And you could go back and read it again later and kind of put this all together. Boaz is called uh, an Ish Gibor Chayil. Ish is man. Um, Gibor is strength or valiant. Chayil, I can't remember what that Hebrew word is on the top of my head, but I will remember later. Uh, and then Ruth is called an Eshet Chayil. Um, She's called that in Ruth chapter 3. Um, and that phrase is used in Proverbs 31 to describe a Proverbs 31 kind of woman. Um, so that's why I left those up there for you. But let's get the character of what this looks like. So in verse 2 of chapter 2, Ruth seeks favor where she would glean. In Ruth, in, yeah, Ruth 2 verse 4, Boaz invokes the covenantal name of God. N notice that, because that really matters. Uh, in verse 4, it says, Later, when Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, he said to the harvesters, The Lord be with you. A and in your copy of the scriptures, it, it has capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. When that name of God is used, it, it's called the covenantal name of God, yud Hey vav Hey in Hebrew. Um, and what that means is that's the personal name of God to his people. So when Boaz says, um, the Lord be with you, he's invoking the Lord who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in faithfulness and love and in chesed, which is what we talked about last week. Uh, my friend George likes to describe this word um, Yahweh like this. Um, he often says, and I'll personalize this for me, but using his illustration, um, there is three people in the world who can call me a name that no one else can call me. And that name is Dad. You might call me Pastor. You might call me Jeremy. You might call me Mr. Cobb. You might, you, you might receive a phone call from someone. You go like, is Mr. Jeremy Cobb there? Or sometimes they even struggle with saying the name Jera, Jeremy. It just amazes me sometimes um, the reading of my name or the pronunciation of my name. And, and I often say, I don't think that person is here. Um, but there's three people in this world who have a special name that they can call me. It's a term of endearment. It's a term of respect. And it's dad. And when God gives his name to Moses, Yahweh, it's a term of respect. It's a term of endearment. He's inviting his people not into just knowing something cognitively about him. Not just blindly following him in life. He's inviting them into a relationship. That's the relationship with Yahweh. And so we see here in Boaz, and oftentimes, one scholar puts it this way, oftentimes the first words that a character says tells us something about who they are. And it's interesting, the first words that Boaz says is, the Lord be with you. Anyways, that's another sermon for another day. But um, we, we find here that Boaz keyed upon Yahweh in a time of great struggle and great famine. Chapter 2, verse 6 and 7 of Ruth, we find that Ruth returned with Naomi. We looked at this word a little bit last week. It's the word shuv in Hebrew. And Boaz has heard that Ruth came back. She returned with Naomi, giving this picture that she's not just coming back to be a, um, to be a companion She's coming back to be a companion and a fellow follower of Yahweh. 
So we see in verses 6 and 7 that she returns. She's hardworking. That's related to Boaz. And she asks permission. And it's interesting. She asks permission to glean when the Torah already provides that opportunity. So, so according to the Torah, according to Leviticus that we read, she could have just gone and gleaned. But she's also asking permission. And there's probably some wisdom to that because you don't know exactly what field you're going to end up in and who might be on the receiving end of you gleaning their fields. Um, but, but she has that bit of respect and that bit of trust to find favor with someone. We see in verse 8 that Boaz urges Ruth to stay in his fields with his female servants, and he presents himself in these verses and verses later as a protector. In fact, he's going to say, don't go to any other field. Stay in my field. I will provide protection for you. I will ensure that no one harms you. Because living in an agrarian society, living in any society really, can be a, a time and place where especially those who are weak and who are marginalized could be very vulnerable to physical abuse or to um, emotional abuse or to other things like that. And Boaz wants to make sure that she is cared for. Um, we find out some more stuff about Ruth. Ruth recognizes Boaz's um, favor despite her people of origin, with humility and thankfulness. Uh, I, I find that fascinating um, be, because she, she looks at him and she sees, I think, God's provision of food through this man. And she goes, but wait, I'm a Moabitess. Now, I think she's a follower of Yahweh at this point. But for the people around, they're looking at her and they're going, wait, but she is from Moab. She has a past. Her people have a past. We have a past with her people. And perhaps that, that barrier to cross may have been hard for some of them. But, but here, she's recognizing, yeah, I realize I, I, I'm an outsider. I, I'm not from the tribe of Benjamin. I, I didn't grow up in Bethlehem. I'm not from the tribe of Judah or from the tribe of Issachar, from, from any of the other tribes. I, I am a Moabitess, and yet thank you for providing care and favor for me and for Naomi in our time of great need. Um, but not only that, we get in these verses a little picture um, of where she's walking spiritually. She, she's recognized that I, I'm a Moabitess, and she says, um, you've been so kind to me, you've comforted and encouraged your slave, even though I'm not like one of your female servants, verse 13, verse 14. And Boaz uh, at the mealtime says, come up here and have some bread and dip it in the vinegar sauce. So she sat beside the harvesters and he offered her roasted grain. She ate, was satisfied, and she set some aside. Um, some of your translations might say, and she had some left over. I, I love the way that Dr. Michael Wexler gives some insight into her character here. Um, he likes to translate this in an active tense. In other words, she actively set some of the food that Boaz had given and made possible for her, she set it aside with the purpose, we find out later in the chapter, to give to Naomi. So, so we find in here someone who's not out for herself alone. She's out for caring for those in whom she is able to care for. We, we, we get this, this posture of, of um, thankfulness and, and gracious uh, response towards the Lord for what God has been doing. And, and notice in the end of verse 12 here, 
Um, Boaz, I believe, is speaking here, and he's describing uh, what Naomi ha- or what Ruth has done. And he says, and may you receive a full reward from the Lord God, covenantal name there, of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. To come underneath someone's wings is to come under someone's protection. And, and so here you have Ruth, a dependent, coming under the wings of the Almighty. But really, she's coming under the wings of the Almighty through the provision of what this man named Boaz would do. But interestingly, Boaz is also under the wings of the Almighty because he's a guy, when he comes to greet his people, he says, may the Lord be with you. So so we get this kind of really godly response to things. There's something else that's interesting in here that caught my eye as I was studying and and reading this week. Notice what Boaz does. I, I read it, but in verse 14, he offers her some bread and, and, and also, within the context here, in verse 9, he offers her water. Um, when Moab and Israel had one of their skirmishes, is, is, um, Israel's getting ready to come into the land, the skirmishes had to do with water. And it had to do with food, and it had to do with resources. And, and so, in one sense, I think you could make an argument that not only is Boaz providing care for her, but care for her as a Moabitess to offer someone water when the Moabites had told Israel at one point in time, no, you may not have our water, is a picture into Boaz saying, hey, peace offering. I recognize you as a person of God, I'm extending chesed to you because God has said, care for those in your midst. Just an interesting little insight there. Um, We find out that Boaz offers her food and water. Um, Ruth sets some aside. She brings it to Naomi. In verses 13 and 14, Boaz offers undeserved kindness to Ruth through speech, that should say, and action, provision of food. In verse uh, 17, we find out that, that, well, we'll let's do 15 and 16 first. In 15 and 16, Boaz tells the harvesters not only to allow her to glean, but to show honor to Ruth by making her gleaning easier. Um, Not only was it hard work, there was a good bit of shame that could be felt by not having enough. I've got to go out and I've got, we don't have food, so I'm going to have to go out and find and ask for food is what Ruth is doing. And, And Boaz says, don't make her just pick up the scraps of what's left on the field by the harvesters. Pull out stalks. Allow her to gather those. It makes it easier. And it's also a way to show her honor. Now, in, in the next couple of chapters, it moves towards, spoiler, it moves towards marriage. Um, but I think one of the things going on here is not necessarily directed towards marriage. It's just directed to how do I demonstrate, how does Boaz, how do Ruth demonstrate the goodness and faithfulness of God in a time and in a period of the judges? We find out in verse 17, Ruth gleans until evening. She doesn't 
call it quits early. She keeps working. She keeps at it. And then she goes and she beats out an ephah of barley. Now, um, depending on what source you read, there's a pretty wide variety of how many quarts are actually in view here. This is probably enough barley to feed her and Naomi for a week. So you can imagine 20 pounds, 25 pounds, 30 pounds, somewhere around in there. It's a big sack of grain that she is going back to her mother-in-law with, which is not easy work, right? We're going back to the field, and a lot of this food is harvested from the field, and it takes work, and it takes sweat, and it takes toil. Um, But in the middle of all this, we see a person who's willing to follow Yahweh even when it may not make economic sense. Certainly when it doesn't make um, uh, sense between two different people groups, but, but he not only recognizes the need for the poor and the foreigner and the alien among him, to be cared for, but he also goes the extra mile. He, he certainly knows that Ruth was married to Naomi's sons, and Boaz is somehow related then to Ruth's father-in-law, Elimelech. But Elimelech, it's been 10 years probably since he's seen them, probably more than 10 years, probably 11 or so years since he's seen them. They left the place, and it'd be easy to say, why'd you guys leave? And in pile shame and pile humiliation, and and Boaz is just extending. You might say, "It's good to have you back. I want to care for you. Here's some food. Take this to Naomi, because he is an Ish Gibor Chayil. He is a mighty man of valor. He, he is a he is a person in whom everything he does." as is pictured, I'm not saying he's perfect, but everything he does is pictured in the story, points to one whose wings he comes under, and that's the Almighty God. So we see the story, and it goes through all these things, and and we see the kindness that is shown. And Ruth comes home from having spent this time gathering and gleaning and Um, beating out on the threshing floor and winnowing and bringing this home so that they have some grain to last them. And Boaz had said, come back again. And and she has this standing invitation to come and gather and glean. In fact, the last verse of the chapter says that Ruth stayed close to Boaz's female servants and gathered grain until the barley and the wheat harvest were finished and she lived with her mother-in-law right? There's no talk of marriage at this point on the table. There's no talk about how God would provide. They just know that God has provided exactly what they needed as Ruth has gone out to seek to serve her mother-in-law faithfully. Ruth is going out in faith saying, God, I I don't know where we're going to find grain today. I don't know who's going to let us glean in their fields, who's going to allow us to take um, for ourselves food for us to survive. And yet she goes out in faith and God brings along a man named Boaz. Um, I love what is described in one commentary. Um, in the JPS Tour commentary, it talks about how Ruth is a person kind of like Abraham. 
Now, if you remember um, the character of Abraham, he's in in his land, he's in a place. God comes to him, he says, Abram, I want you to get up and I want you to go to a place I'm going to show you. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you with, um, with, well, with people. And I'm going to make um, you be a blessing to all other people. I want to bless the world through you. He, he gets a land, a, a nation, and a blessing. Abram gets up and he goes out trusting Yahweh. And he goes to where God leads him. And, and in many ways, Ruth's story is very similar. R- Ruth here... Um, gets up, and she leaves the land of Moab. And in faith, um, she, she goes to a land, not where she was born, and she goes to a people who are not her people. In fact, this is the way Boaz says it in verse 11. He says, everything you've done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me. How you left your father and mother in the land of your birth and how you came to a people that you did not previously know. This great invitation of what it means to follow God. And it may be here that, that you have grown up in, in a land and in a people physically or metaphorically um, that, would not, that, that is different than the land of following God, again, metaphorically here, than the people of God with which you now walk. And it may be that you've had to learn to trust God through some really difficult famines. It may be here that you're experiencing uh, a life where you're walking in a different direction from God and God is saying, will you trust me today with whatever is going on in your life, whether it is feast or it is famine? But the invitation here is to get up, to go, and to hear the word of God and to follow God doing whatever he calls you to do in his word and by his spirit. We, we see this lived out in the life of Ruth, in the life of Boaz. We see this also experienced by Naomi. At the end of last week, um, we, f- we find that Naomi says to the people of Bethlehem, she comes back and they, and they say, this is Naomi, whose name means pleasant, right? Um, and she says, don't call me Naomi, She says, call me Mara, which means bitter. Call me bitter because I went out full from this land and I have come back empty. Now, in the one hand, she went out full with her husband and her sons, right? She she went out full with family and provision and she is coming back empty. On the other hand, she also went out and she went out to go trust, or she went out to go trust a, a path that God did not place for her because he called her family to stay in the land. And she's coming now back to the land. She's coming now back in a relationship with God. And she's going to find that even in her famine, she is full. Many times we feel the famines of life around us. Loss of family members, loss of jobs, not enough money to go for all the things that we think we have before us. We have disappointment and discouragement. And yet it's in those challenging times where God often demonstrates his grace and his mercy in the greatest possible ways because he says, guess what? You may feel like you are empty, but you are really full because I am with you. You are under my wings. The psalmist talks about this phrase, to to live under the shadow of the wings of the Almighty. 
in Psalm 17 where that's used. It's used as Yahweh as protector. And it may be today that you feel very vulnerable. God invites you to come underneath the shadow of his wings for protection. He's inviting you and me today to trust him in these small and in these large things that we experience in life. And as we come to the end of this passage, as we come to the end of why this matters, um, one of the reasons it matters is because God is a God who says, I will be your shelter. You can trust me. It doesn't mean that everything is always going to work out well. It does not mean that there is not going to be hardship, that there is not going to be loss, that there's not going to be disappointment. It does mean that God is always with you. It does mean that he and he alone can be the source of your joy, of your strength, and your hope in those mountains and in those valleys. Are you resting under the shadow of his wings today. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you can become a follower of Jesus by confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised him from the dead and that's in him, not in your own self, not in your own past of sin, not your own past successes that you will find your identity. It's only in him and in his death and in his resurrection that you will find shelter under the Almighty. But there's something else. That, that may be the message for some of you hearing me today. Are you underneath the shadow of his wings? But there's something else that I think is helpful for the people of God. Those of us who rest under the shadow of his wings. What I see as I read the story of Ruth and Boaz is I see two people who are willing to trust God even in the difficulties and even in the abundances of life. In, in other words, godliness always matters. <laughs> It always matters. And God uses an Ishkibor Chayil, a mighty man of valor, to demonstrate his grace to the people around. And he uses an Eshet Chayil, a mighty woman of God, to demonstrate his grace to the people around. That does not mean either of those people are perfect. But it does mean that there are people who have said, God, you may use me however you wish. Because godliness in a time of judges especially always matters. In fact, you could perhaps argue in the times in which darkness seems to be growing ever stronger, light is even more penetrating. And you look at people like Boaz, who, who, who is a respected person in the, in the area. And we don't know the spiritual ramifications of everything, what's going on in Bethlehem right now. But certainly he's one who people, I think, look to and they go, that guy's different. <laughs> he leaves the corners of his fields. Can you believe it? We've had a famine for how many years? And he's leaving corners of his fields. Why is he doing it? Because he's trusting God with what God has given him. And he's obeying God's word by saying, I'm going to leave these trusting God that God will meet your needs, using me to meet your needs. And it may be today that for us, the people of God, we need to learn that we are not called just to walk in relationship with God, but we are called to walk in relationship with God for the betterment of the people who are around us. Right? 
that, that we are to use the gifts and the abilities and the talents and the resources we have not to amass bigger barns, which will one day just burn up anyway, but we're here to be a blessing to those around us through the gospel and through practical needs that God says, hey, I want you to meet that need over here. And you say, really, God? <laughs> you, you want me to do that? Yes, I will by faith do that. Years ago, I had a battery go out on my car, and I didn't have a ton of, we didn't, we didn't have a ton, ton of money at that time, and I was like, all right, I need a hundred and something dollars for a battery. This was decades ago, and, uh, and I'm going, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? A friend of mine comes in um, to, to see me, hands me a check for what I need for a battery, and I go, I guess I'm going to buy a battery now. <laughs> like, what do I do? And the amazing thing is, is the friend who gave me the check was not someone who had lots of money either. They just sensed God saying, I want you to do this. Sometimes God gives us great abundance so that we can bless others liberally with it. Sometimes God does not give us great abundance, but God still expects us and calls us in circumstances to give grace. <laughs> And that's not just finances, by the way. That's the abundance of time. That's a listening ear. That's a, hey, it's going to be okay. Can we pray together? It's taking a pause in your day and in mine to say, how do I love the people around me in a way that points them to the Almighty under whose wings I have come? Because the point of Boaz following God, and the point of Ruth following God is not for us to make much of Boaz and Ruth. It's for us to make much of God and the people through whom God would have, the, the people through whom God desires to use to be a blessing to the nations around, both with the good news of the gospel and with the practical needs that arise in the lives of the people whose lives we touch. I want to end our time together this morning with a time of quiet prayer. And I want to invite you, if, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to make the best decision and, and the best journey of trusting Jesus. I want to invite you to make that that choice today. But if you're a follower of Jesus and you're listening to me, I want you to take a quiet moment just to, just to say, all right, Lord, would you help me order my priorities right? Would you teach me what it means to matter and to care about the things that you care about in this world? And, and I want to give you just a pause here for God to speak to you and to prepare you for the world that each one of us walk out into in a few minutes here a world that's dark, a world that needs a savior, a world that, that doesn't, a world that struggles with a lot of things that, friends, we have answers to because we have the hope of the gospel. So if you're here in person, if you're online, would you just try to silence any distractions that you might have around you? And we're gonna take a couple minutes uh, for you to spend in prayer and then I'll close with some prayer at the end.
Lord Jesus, we come recognizing our dependence upon you again today for everything we need for life and godliness. Lord, it would be foolish for us to try and do good things in our own strength. We need you. We need your strength. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to live and to move through us that we might be a blessing in a way that you call us to be. Um, And God, we thank you that you promised that, that your word promises that you never leave and you never forsake your people. You, You promised that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. And so, God, we, we set our minds towards that end. We set our minds towards you. Because it's in you we have life. It's in you we have hope. It's in you we find forgiveness and grace and mercy. It's in you we find joy and peace. It's in you, God, that we, we find the provision we need for today. And Lord, while it can be so tempting for for some of us to think about what we need for tomorrow and what we need for the next day, you remind us so patiently that the people of this world, they seek after all those things, but we are called to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. And so God, we want to do that today. Father, in the ways that you prompt our hearts this week, Help us to be obedient to the still, small voice of God as we listen to people, as we share truth with people, as we have opportunity to provide other ways uh, with physical benevolence, um, with prayer. God, cause us to slow down a little bit in our life to not miss what matters most. God, we pray that you would be, that you would be made famous in and above and over every part of our lives. We bless you, God. We thank you for today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.